Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible tonight, we're just coming again to this great subject of prayer. Last week we looked at prayer and the essentials of prayer, what's really important for us as a people, as God's people, and what's important in the context of prayer. Those seven things, you can listen to it if you've missed it, those seven things that are crucial for effective prayer, for us to have effective prayer individually and corporately. And so tonight we're continuing on uh, with this subject of prayer, but in specific we're going to look at this area, waging war for souls, prayer, waging war for souls. You know, we are we are living <clears throat> in the last days, that is for sure. And we have lived in a day where the prophecy of Scripture has been fulfilled when we have seen a great departure from the faith, the apostasy that the Bible tells us of in the last days. And we see the rise of wickedness. The love of many has grown cold in heart. And we have seen so many loved ones that once walked with the Lord and now they've turned into the world. And we have so many loved ones, mums and dads or brothers and sisters or, or sons and daughters or, or friends and cousins and so forth that aren't saved. And as we are approaching into these last days, knowing that the coming of the Lord is, is near, uh, the reality is that we long to see our loved ones brought into the kingdom because we know that Christ could come or call at any moment. And it's the urgency of eternity. I believe that if we grasp eternity for what it is and its reality, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, and that's not popular language, not even amongst, amongst the believers today to talk about a place called hell. But you know, friends, this is a reality. It's not to frighten people, it's not to scare people, but it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we realize that, you know, our loved ones are a breath from eternity, just one breath. Nobody knows when they'll take that last breath. And it is important for us, there is an urgency in our hearts. There should be an urgency amongst the church. We that believe the second coming of the Lord, we believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell. We believe that Christ could come at any moment. And it's so important for us in that context then that we remain focused and that we again come again to pray and to seek the Lord for our loved ones. And it's so difficult in these days when we see so many very close to us that have seemed to have no interest in the things of God. And our hearts, our hearts are so broken over that. It's a reality. I, I know that it's a personal thing uh, for us tonight as much as it is anything else that we long to see our loved ones brought into the kingdom to be ready if the Lord should come or call. And so it's in that context we're going to refocus again just in prayer, waging War for lost souls. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 18 and verse 1? Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray <clears throat> and to not faint or to become weary. You know, we shall reap if we faint not or become weary. In Luke chapter 19, just some of these verses that we mentioned, I want to mention them again to keep our focus. Luke chapter 19 and verse 46, Jesus said, My house is the house of prayer. My house is the house of prayer. Oswald Chambers said this statement, that prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is, brothers and sisters, the real work of any local assembly. The real work is prayer. And you know, if I could liken this tonight for you to grasp how important prayer is in our own individual lives, <clears throat> how important prayer is for an assembly, I could put it to you like this if you uh, just simply all of us have been blessed with a human body and everything of this body is necessary 
for it to function. But there are some things that are vital for it to function. And that's exactly what it's like with prayer. There, there is things in the church life that are necessary. And then there are some things that are vital. They are absolutely vital to the function of an assembly, to the function of the church of Jesus Christ. You know, if you take, for example, the heart, I believe the heart of a church is the faith of a church because faith is in the heart. And, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We might be doing many things, but unless there's a faith in that church to believe the Lord, you know, we have feet and we have hands and they speak of the church that reaches out into a community that God has blessed us to be able to go, that he's blessed us with hands and feet to go out and to reach the lost. And again, those things are vital for a church. We've been given a voice to lift up <coughs> our voice, <coughs> to praise and to worship the Lord. And our tears are like the, the, the sense of intercession that's required upon the altar within the house of the Lord. But see, prayer is vital. <coughs> Prayer is vital to the church of Jesus Christ. It's like the lungs, like the lungs of the body. Without the lungs, you cannot breathe. And that air is, is, is so necessary. It is vital for the whole function of the rest of the body. You know, I, I might be able to live my life without a, an arm <clears throat> and carry on. I might be able to live a life without a leg. But I cannot live without lungs. It's vital that I have breath in this body. And so prayer is vital. It is absolutely essential for the church of the living God. You know, I, I stress this because some people think or some people have an idea that, that prayer isn't really that important. A prayer meeting isn't important. To seek the Lord or to spend time in prayer before any activity takes place, that's not really that important. The reason why I believe that some people think that is because of the, 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 the lack of attendance to the place of prayer, to seek the Lord. But prayer, if you just put it this way, prayer is like the lungs in your body. And that is vital for the function of that whole body. We need we need to be in the place of prayer. We need to follow the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself to be in that place of prayer individually and also corporately to seek the Lord together in prayer. But what a wonderful weapon prayer is. Prayer, the waging of a war for the souls of men. You know, I want to just start tonight and probably go over some things that would seem to you that, that they're quite basic and they're quite easy to see. But sometimes I think we forget this. And again, I speak this from experience and certainly even presently. Uh, and when we go through this, I'll share some things. But you know, the waging of war for souls, we must know and come on to a place that this is entirely spiritual. It's an entirely spiritual activity when we're waging a warfare for the souls of men and women. In Ephesians chapter 6 and 12, that great uh, chapter on warfare, Ephesians 6 and 12, Paul says these words, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So now Paul is showing us that this whole battle of the Christian life is not something that is exercised or fought on the basis of the natural man. That's very difficult when we're coming to the topic tonight of waging a warfare for the souls of men because I know that when I'm preaching this tonight, we are talking not about just men in general, but we're talking about loved ones. We're talking about moms and dads. We're talking about sons and daughters. We're talking about husbands or wives. We're talking, you understand, we know it's something so personal to us. So we're waging a warfare for a loved one, someone that is before us, someone perhaps that we live with, a neighbor or, or a close family friend. So we know that that person is something that's very natural, very close to us. But the battle isn't a natural one. The whole battle that we're engaged in, the whole warfare is entirely 
including your loved one and my loved one, is entirely spiritual. The whole concept of this is entirely spiritual. We are not wrestling against the flesh and the blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So our whole warfare is spiritual. I want to stress that because it's so easily for us to fall into the natural man in order to accomplish something that's spiritual. And that can never happen, no matter how good it may seem. But anything of the natural man can never accomplish that which is entirely and totally spiritual. So let's clarify tonight from the Word of God, from the Scriptures, why we're looking at this from a spiritual point of view. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the Bible tells us here clearly, there's some things I want us to look at, recap, and to come again afresh at this, clarifying this from the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the Bible tells us there that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Now, the God of this world is the devil. So I want you to see this tonight. I know we're speaking about our loved ones, but the whole work of the enemy, it is a spiritual work. The God of this world has blinded the minds of my loved ones, your loved ones, so that they will not believe. You understand here that this God of this world is a spiritual being, not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. The Bible says that lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine in onto them. So first of all, we see that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that do not believe. Number two, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, again, these great verses, Paul speaking of what we once were, that's what we once were, but again brings the spiritual enlightenment to the condition of the lost. Ephesians 2 and 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according, listen to what he says, to the prince of the power of the air. Then he says these words, The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So now we see the God of this world has blinded them. Now we see that the spirit that is at work is, a, is the spirit that working in the children of disobedience, the prince of the power of the earth. Again, this is a spiritual warfare. This is the enemy of our souls. That's the way we once lived. We once lived according to the course of this world. We were dead in sin and trespasses. The spirit of this age was working in us and trying to hold us captive and blind us. But thank God for the grace of God that saved us. But we see it again. We have to see it spiritually. Number three, in 1 John 5 and 19, the Bible says, We know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. In other words, the world is in the grasp of the devil himself. The whole of this, this whole world is in the hands of Satan himself, holding them captive. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 27, the Bible says that no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. So now we see that the strong man's house, we see that there is a power that holds our loved ones. They're not aware of that because it's a spiritual wickedness that is working against them. So there is a power that holds them captive in the strong man's house. The only way that they can be loosed from that power if there is one stronger that comes, we thank God tonight that stronger one has come. His name is Jesus. And he sets the captive gloriously and wonderfully free. Number five, the Bible tells us, these are important verses. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 2 and verse 14. Again, we're looking at the spiritual context of waging a warfare against uh, the enemy and for the souls of men and women. But in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, the Bible says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can they know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So in the natural man, they, are, they have no ability to receive the things of the Spirit, because they're spiritually discerned. They're dead in trespasses and in sin. They cannot receive So we see clearly here, as we go through these different scriptures, that the entire work that we're engaged in is a spiritual work. It's the things of the spirit, not the things of the natural man. No matter how great that natural man may be, no matter how intellectual he may be, no matter how great he may be in his thinking, but he cannot receive the things of the spirit. Now in Ephesians 4 and 18, number 6, this is what the Bible says concerning our loved ones. But we have to be specific when we look at this. Ephesians 4 and 18 says, They have their understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That blindness is a spiritual blindness. Now, Let me stop for a moment. That's what we once were. We were all like this. That's the life that we once were in. And we know it's completely spiritual, the context that we were living in. And we know by the grace of God that we have been saved, born of the Spirit, translated into the kingdom of God. It's a completely spiritual matter. So what it was for us, It must be for them. It must be spiritual that we wage a warfare for the souls of men. For a man and a woman to be saved, very simply, it has to be a supernatural, spiritual work of Almighty God. It cannot be any other way. You know, that is part of the problem that we have come to in a wider context of the church today. We have become very good at trying to reach men and women in a natural way when hoping for a spiritual end. But this cannot be by the natural means of men. It must be by the Spirit of God. And so we have many things that we try to do in the church in order to get people to come to church. But sadly in that, They might be in church, but they're not in Christ. And so we have all the mass of activity in the modern church today to get people to join our church community. That's the terms that's used. But brothers and sisters, we are not interested in people coming to join the church. We must have the clear focus again Now, our whole purpose is to see men and women born of the Spirit of God and that they are in Christ. That is entirely a supernatural, born-again miracle of God. And sadly today, we're drifting away from this miracle. We're drifting away from that focus of it being a supernatural encounter with the living God. A miracle happens in the heart of a man. A man is born of God, born of the Spirit, born from above. The Spirit of God comes into that man. He's a new creature. And so we have slowly been drifting away from the reality of this miracle, this miracle of the new birth. And so we have allowed the natural means to flood the churches in order to try and reach the lost. And sadly, friends, we are gaining crowds or people coming into churches, but we're not seeing them come into Christ. 
And that's where when we read of Matthew 7 and 23 that many will say in that day, Lord, we did these wonderful things in your name. We went to mission trips. We went to social outreaches. We've done all these great things. But they'd never been born of the Spirit of God. The tragedy of that is, and it is a tragedy, and it should break our hearts because it's a sobering reality. Now, at the end of that, the Lord says, depart from me. I never knew you. That we were never, we were never intimate in our relationship that you were born of the Spirit of God. So I'm pointing out the obvious tonight, but I, I believe sometimes we need to strip back all the fluff that comes into the church and all the facade that comes into the church, all done under the name of what is spiritual. And friends, it's not spiritual. It's the activity of man. And this is a tragedy because if we believe in eternity, and we do, if we believe in a heaven and we believe in a hell, and we do, if we believe that Christ is coming and every man will give an account, if we believe in that great white throne judgment, and we do, if we believe in a lake of fire that burns forever, and we do, then, brothers and sisters, that should be enough within us to bring it back to that which is important, that which is vital, that which must be our focus, that our loved ones and our friends and, and all around us here in Ballinahenshire, wherever you are tonight, over, over in Lisburn or over in Liverpool or up in Kilkeel or Downpatrick or wherever you may be, but, brothers and sisters, listen tonight. This is entirely a spiritual matter. This prayer, waging for souls, waging a warfare for souls, is entirely spiritual. They are under the grip of the enemy. They're blinded by the God of this world, the prince of the power of the earth. He is working in them to deceive them, to steal the seed that has been sown that you've maybe had an opportunity to share with them. And so the enemy's working to deceive them and to lure them away into the depths of that world, to harden their hearts, to blind the minds of them that do not believe. That's all entirely spiritual. It's wickedness. It's the God of this world that is working. So, friends, it's not going to work by getting our loved ones to join the flower-arranging church committee. It's not going to work by getting them to come along to a picnic. Those things, as far as making friends with people, that's whatever. But if we think for a moment that that is what reaches them, it has to be by the power of the Holy Ghost. It has to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God. It has to be by the cross of Christ and the blood of Christ. That is an offense to this world. And so we need to come back to what this book tells us. We are going to wage a warfare for our loved ones. We must get on to the spiritual ground. The Bible says this, Jesus speaking, John 3 and verse 8, and here is the key to seeing that it is absolutely a work of God. It is the power of the Spirit of God. But in John 3 and verse 8, the wind bloweth, Jesus said, where it listeth, thou hearest the sound Thereof, but canst tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So here we see the Lord clearly reveals to us, as we know in our own lives, it's when the wind of the Spirit of God blows into the life. We can't see the wind, but the Spirit of God moves suddenly upon a lost, poor, wretched soul. That's, that's our hope in God tonight, not that we can do it. We know we can't. We know, we know, we know we cannot do it. But it's when we put our faith and trust in the ability of God, the Holy Spirit, and the wind of God to blow on one poor, wretched soul. That's been our cry in this assembly for the wind of God to blow, for a God to blow again through this nation and touching lives. The wind's blowing where it listeth. You hear the sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. That is so everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. This is entirely spiritual. 
Bible tells us in Luke 11, and we touched a few minutes ago on this, but it says, Luke 11 and verse 20, But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, Jesus speaking, no doubt the kingdom of God is come unto you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are at peace. But when a stronger, then he shall come upon him and overcome him. He taketh him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. I want to tell you what that is tonight, brothers and sisters. I believe that's Christ. He is the great, the almighty God on that cross. He has defeated all the powers of the enemy. And when that great victory of the cross by the power of the Holy Ghost sweeps in to a hardened sinner's heart and softens that heart and reveals them to the glory of the cross, it's at that moment that spiritual awakening can come into the heart and into the understanding of a man. So the question is, it's entirely spiritual, absolutely, totally spiritual. But is there any activity on the part of us, the church, the individual, the believer? Is there any activity that God has directed us or commanded us to do? And the answer to that is yes. God works in cooperation with us. We can't understand that fully, but that's what God has chosen. That's why God has left us on this earth. That's why God has given us a great commission. And so there are a couple of things that we are responsible for in this world. Number one, will God use us? Number one, yes, through the preaching of the gospel. In Mark 16 and 15, Jesus says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We know in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, Paul writes, For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but to us that are saved, it's the power of God. So he has commanded them to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has commanded us to share, to witness for him the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the full gospel of Christ, the full counsel of God. We must share that Christ is the answer to this world, that Christ is the answer to every man and woman and boy and girl, that he is the only way that a man or a woman can be saved, that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We must be faithful in sharing the gospel through tracts, through conversations, through coffees, through whatever we can, but we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring the cross of Christ. Bring Christ that he is the hope of this world. You know, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 1.21, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, and it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. Now that is an awesome thing, that God would take through the foolishness of preaching, men, women, boys and girls, and pulpits, and streets, and children's meetings, wherever it may be, to preach the gospel, to tell people of Christ that God has chosen that vehicle, the foolishness of preaching to save them, that believe. That is God's method and that is God's way. Man has no right to change it, even though many have, but that is the way that God has ordained it through the foolishness of preaching. We have a commandment to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is our responsibility in this cooperation with God and His great work, that we must tell them their need of a Savior. But number two, I believe in what we're talking about is prayer. Prayer is vital because this is a spiritual warfare. This is waging a war for our loved ones. The Bible tells us in James 5 and verse 16, James 5 and verse 16, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's an awesome verse. The effectual and fervent. That means to be active and efficient in the place of making your petitions known. The effectual or the active and efficient prayer of a righteous man. The Bible says 
availeth or has a force abundantly. In other words, we have a responsibility because we have a great privilege. We have a responsibility because we have a great privilege. That is the privilege of prayer. There are some things I want us to know about God's will in the place of prayer. This is spiritual, but some things that we should know. Number one is the most important one. Is it God's will to save your loved one and to save my loved one? I want to tell you something. It's God's will to save every man and woman and boy and girl on this planet. We serve an awesome God tonight, a God that desires to save every person in this planet, every man and woman that will walk up and down Main Street tonight, God's purpose is that he wants to save them. He has chosen the vehicle of the church to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus. That's you and me, a responsibility to tell every man of their need of a Savior, to tell them about the hope that there is in Christ. But number one, we must know when we pray in the waging of this warfare for the souls of men, and particularly our loved ones, it's God's will to save your loved one. I know tonight it's God's will to save my loved one. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3 and 9, if you turn over 2 Peter 3 and 9, we take this from Scripture tonight. This is the will of God for your loved one. You just must know God's will. No matter tonight if all of hell is breaking loose, no matter tonight if all the waves of opposition are coming in, no matter tonight if all the winds are blowing, no matter tonight if it's getting darker and getting deeper, and even though you prayed and prayed all day yesterday, and today it's got worse. That happens sometimes. We all know about it. But listen tonight, you must know God's will. God's will. God's will is this, Second Peter 3 and 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to usward. Now listen to these words. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There it is, friend. There's the will of God. God is not willing that my loved one or your loved one would be lost. He wants all men to be saved, all men to come to repentance. This tonight is crucial when we come to waging a warfare for the souls of men. I know when I'm praying for lost souls that are on this page tonight that it's absolutely in the will of God that every one of them are to be saved. That is God's will. I'm in the will of God tonight. I'm praying in the will of God. I know that when I bring them before the throne of grace, that I am walking in the perfect will of God. God's perfect will is to save your loved one and to save my loved one. That's God's will. Number two, this is a difficult one. This is a really difficult one. Number two, we are to abandon all human efforts. Now, God, give us the grace to do it. This is not easy. It's not easy if it's someone in your home. It's not easy if someone who's close to you to abandon all human efforts. I believe that this is possibly one of the most difficult things to do, especially with someone so close, to abandon your own effort to get them saved. You want them saved. I want them saved We'll do anything to get them saved. It's often be said it's true. If we could lift them up and carry them in, every one of us would do it. The church would be packed to the doors where the people would carry through those double doors. But friends, tonight, we must abandon. This is a hard one. We must lay, as it were, our Isaac down. We must lay it all on the altar. We must bring it all to the feet of Christ to abandon all all human effort. That's all the conversations. That's all the trying to make it happen. That's all the schemes and all the plans and all the things that we do. Unless it's absolutely, totally, you know it's the Lord to do it. Then we must abandon everything of the natural man. Remember it's spiritual. Remember it's entirely spiritual. This waging of a warfare for the souls of men. I tell you, friend, this is the hardest one. I confess it before you tonight. The hardest one 
is to abandon all human effort, to abandon everything of what we would naturally want to do. It's a spiritual desire, but we want to naturally make it happen. I want to tell you, friends, it can never happen by the arm of flesh. In John 6 and 63, the Bible says these words, It is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It's the Spirit of God that quickens the flesh. It cannot do anything, cannot profit anything. This is the hardest thing for us in the natural sense. We love them, we care for them, we look out for them, we want the best for them, we want to see them get saved, we want to see them go on with God. We can see and know that there's a call of God in their life. We're just longing to see them get right with God and go on with God. And when it doesn't happen in our time, in our time, then we are so prone then to enter into the natural means to try and get a spiritual end. Can I tell you, friends, it never never will happen because this is entirely spiritual. So tonight, if you're listening in and you have a loved one that's on your heart, on your mind, together, collectively, if you like, and all together, bringing all our loved ones, we simply say to God tonight, Lord, we are abandoning all our human effort and handing them right over at the feet of Jesus, laying them on the altar and taking our hands off it and saying, Lord, Lord, it's over to you. Do the work that only you could do. Number three is important. We have to have faith, but faith in God's ability alone to do the work. Now that's a hard one too, because while we have one hand on and trying to get God to do something as we lift both hands off, then there's the trial of our faith. Now, trial can go on for some time. We don't know the beginning nor the end of it. But here we have to have a faith in the ability of God to do the work. Do you trust God? Do I trust Him? Do we have a faith in God's ability? God's ability. I want to tell you, friends, so often we're looking for the ability of an organization. We're looking for the ability of a group of people. We're looking for the ability of something in this world to help because naturally we care. But friends, have you got a faith in the ability of God? And this is what it tells us in Jeremiah 32, 27. God says, I am the Lord the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Praise the Lord tonight, friend, brother and sister. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. I tell you why there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Because if God saved you and if God saved me, then I know tonight and you know tonight that God can save anybody. We know that God is able. And so it's our faith in God's ability to work supernaturally by the power of the Holy Ghost to create the circumstances that need to be created to bring our loved one to the foot of the cross to cry out for mercy. That's hard to watch, but we must keep remembering we're abandoning all our human effort and everything of what we think is right. We're handing it over to God. And tonight we're going to say, God, we are going to trust in the ability of an almighty God, whether it be here in Balanahench or across this land. But we're trusting that we serve an almighty God tonight that's able to reach in to the darkest of pits and break every chain in a life and set every prisoner free because he is almighty. And so we come with this whole focus on waging that war in prayer. It's God's will to save them. And now we take all of our own human effort away. And now we put our faith and our trust in the ability of an almighty God that God's able to do it. God's able to break through. God's able to set them free. God's able to create the circumstances in their life. We can't, but he can. We must know then that our place in all of this is to boldly approach a throne of grace. That's what we have. We have access. We have access to the throne of God. And Romans 5 and 1 tells us, Therefore, being justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says this, by whom we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So now we see we have access. Friend, listen, we have access. We need to go to the throne. We need to bring it to the throne of grace. That's where we can boldly come. Hebrews tells us that. That's where we stand. We have access. They don't, but we do. We have access into the throne of God. And the Bible tells us that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. In other words, that the Lord's able to turn that heart. But we must go to the throne. We can't go around everywhere else and everyone else. We must go to the throne. Get the church praying. Get friends praying. But get everyone to get to the throne for your loved one. We know then how important, that's number four, to go to the throne. But number five, this is crucial, this leading us on from that. What it is to pray together as the church of Jesus Christ. Praying together. Finding people that are going to pray with you. Finding a church that's going to pray together. Seek the Lord together. Oh friends, what a day of selfishness it is. What a day of just me in my small corner. What a day of me just living for myself and my own. Oh, friends, I pray that God would break the selfishness that's found in the church today. The men won't even come to the house of God to seek the Lord together for the souls of men. Remember David Wilkerson telling the story once of a woman approaching him and saying, I need you to pray for my son. He's this, he's that, he's there, and he's lost. Would you pray for him? And he said to the woman, when's the last time that you've been in the prayer meeting? How can I agree with you to pray if you don't even come and pray yourself? Friends, I tell you, you might think, well, everything's fine. I don't need to pray. But maybe someday soon that you're going to need the prayer of God's people. And friends, I want to encourage us tonight, the prayer of the church of Jesus Christ. What it is to be a house of prayer. What it is to come into a place where you're going to find someone that's going to say, Sister, I'll agree with you for your son. Brother, I'll agree with you for your daughter. Sister, I'll agree with you for your husband. Let's pray together. Let's wage war on the kingdom of darkness. Let's get to the throne of grace tonight. Let's abandon all that we can do, but we can pray and seek the Lord. We need to pray. The Bible says in Matthew 18 and 19, that if two of you, shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done of them, of my Father which is in heaven. There's an agreement and there's a power when the church say, listen, someone's given a prayer request. I don't see these as a waste of time, by the way. I don't see them as a waste of time. You know, we got a prayer request in, came through the website, and a a young boy has sent a request in and simply said, would you pray for my daddy to get saved? I want to tell you something that touched my heart. It should touch yours, but I know it touched the heart of God. Now there's a wee boy that's that's taking the time, a young boy, and sending a wee message in saying, pray for my daddy. Well, I tell you, friend, tonight, I agree with that wee boy for his daddy, that his daddy will get saved because he believes in childlike faith. He's found, hopefully, a people that will pray, that will agree together. You know, we can't even get people to come out of their houses to come and seek the Lord together because they've got something better else to do. Or they're so self-centered in themselves. My God, this is a house of prayer. I want to agree. I want to agree with you. Would you agree with me for the souls of men? We need to come as God's people to agree together. The house of prayer. You know, we've really seen the awesome power there is spiritually we've looked at a whole catalogue of spiritual darkness and what he's doing but could we see something so much greater than all of that darkness when God's people as the children of light of faith washed in the blood join together to the head our living head which is Jesus and begin to agree agree as the body of Christ for the souls of men and we wage a warfare on our knees in the house of prayer Oh, friend, tonight we need to break religion and reservation and and all that fear and all that pride of what people think and just come again and get on our knees and begin to bombard the throne of God for the souls of men. The church must pray. Not only must they pray, and I believe this is spiritual, totally spiritual, but we must pray. 
with tears. Psalm 126, verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. They sow in tears. Friends, I believe tonight just a few words spluttered with tears is a more effective prayer spiritually than a prayer that could last a half an hour and fill the room with great sound but make no impact in the spiritual kingdom of darkness. A prayer that's broken forth from the heart with tears much more effective than a million words of great, grand, and special prayer. Just a heart cry. Lord, save, we pray. Lord, would you give us tears again in the prayer meetings? Give us tears for loved ones. Give us tears for our friends and our brothers and sisters' loved ones. Give us tears, Lord, that soak a carpet. Give us tears that soak an altar. Give us tears, what it is again, to intercede and to pray, but to pray with tears. Doubtless will come again. Doubtless shall come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Lastly, number seven, we must wage this war for our loved ones. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, waging it in prayer, The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Those strongholds are spiritual strongholds. They're wicked strongholds. Strongholds of the wicked one. But the prayers of the saints, the weapons of our warfare, are mighty through God to the pulling down of every stronghold. Friends, you know the greatest cry should be in the church today is that the womb would be fruitful. I mean with new converts, birth of God. I'm not talking about adding numbers to a church. I'm talking about births in the house of God. People being born of the Spirit. New births. What's it like when you bring those wee babies home? Isn't it amazing? You know, it's just an awesome thing when you gather up that wee baby in that first day and then you get all excited and get the car seat and get up to the hospital and Nicky's coming out and you've got your new wee baby and you're bringing it home and there's something about that new life that changes an entire house. Friends, think of it in a spiritual context. Isn't there something wonderful? to see the birthing of souls. Isn't it something? Does it not do your heart good to see souls saved, people going on with God? Are you not excited when you hear about someone getting saved? Oh, friend, tonight, you know, I don't know what's happened, but you know the greatest miracle that can ever happen is a man or a woman born of the Spirit. That's entirely a supernatural act of Almighty God. Isn't it a wonderful thing? So we got to wage a war on our knees, waging an effective war on our knees for the souls of men. That the church womb, just like Hannah cried and intercede, that the womb would be opened, not shut. That God would open the womb of the church and souls would be birthed. Oh, friend, tell you, wouldn't it be wonderful to see uh, the wind of the Spirit blow into Balnehinch and souls born of the Spirit lives filled with the Holy Ghost, new converts, not with all the tradition and the baggage of religion, but just born of the Spirit, in love with Jesus, on fire for God. And you know what they want to do? Tell someone else about it. Oh, friends, we need to wage the war. There's a place at the throne of mercy to pray for the souls to be born. We need to be specific. We need to be persistent. We need to have faith-filled prayers. We need to be fervent. We need to be bold. There needs to be tears. There needs to be Holy Ghost power-filled prayer meetings to make the womb of the church fruitful. Oh God, tonight we want to wage this war. 
We want to wage this war. May God tonight, as we abandon all our own efforts, bring our loved ones to the throne of grace. May God tonight, by his mercy, empower us. The spirit of prayer would be upon us to come to the throne day and night, seeking the Lord, believe in the Lord, that our God, our God, there isn't anything too hard for him. May God tonight use us as a people, individually but collectively. Oh God, get these doors open for prayer again. Get this house open for prayer. Make it be a house of prayer, an upper room, an upper room where we seek the Lord for souls. May we be encouraged tonight to wage a good warfare for our loved ones. In Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father, tonight we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would help us tonight to turn everything over to you. Lord, our hearts are often broken, weary and tired, when in the natural we see our loved ones go deeper and deeper into sin, held tighter and tighter by the grip and the power of Satan. But we thank God tonight we look up again and we're reminded, Lord, that on the cross you defeated all the powers of darkness and broke every chain. Lord, what you've done in our lives you're able to do in theirs in a moment. So, Lord, tonight our cry simply is at the end of this meeting, Lord, let the wind blow. Lord, let the wind blow. Get us on our knees. Get us seeking you, Lord. Make this place a birth and chamber a place of intercession, a place of tears, a place, Lord, where we're free from religion and respectability and pride. But, Lord, we're not ashamed to get on our faces and cry out to God for the souls of men. Lord, would you do the work? Lord, we abandon ourselves to you and we abandon all our human efforts. Lord, I pray for each and every one tonight that's listening with an unsaved loved one. Lord, in Jesus' name, we bring them right now to your throne and we say, Lord, Lord, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.